Our scripture reading this morning um, comes from the book of Luke and also the book of John. So Luke 7, 31, 34. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, the friend of tax collectors and sinners. John 15, 12-17 This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we continue in our series on who is Jesus. And today we're looking at this idea of Jesus as a friend, a friend of sinners, a drunkard, one that is an outcast. But I wonder when you hear friend and Jesus being a friend, what you think of. I think of songs when I think of friendship. I think of the old Cole Porter song that goes, if you're ever in a jam, here I am, right? If you're ever in a mess, S-O-S. It's friendship. Friendship. Just the perfect blendship. When other friendships are soon forgot, ours will still be hot. Diggy, 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 do, do, do. Or maybe you're younger and you don't know who Cole Porter is, by the way, from Indiana, where I came from when I moved here. And you can think to yourself of that great theological work, Toy Story, and you hear the song, You Got a Friend in Me. Oh, you've got a friend in me. Maybe you think of the show Friends and their theme song, or maybe Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend. Friendship. We come to it and we think, what is it? What does it mean? Maybe you didn't get to hear those songs or see those shows. But if you grew up going to church camp or hanging out with Christians, you know this one. Friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the Lord of them... And a friend will not say never, though the friendship will not end, though it's hard to let you go. In the Father's hands we know that a lifetime is not too long to live as friends. How cheesy. Really, I mean, how disgustingly sweet and saccharine. Right, Because we know that we've had friends that have come and gone. We know that there are friends that we've had in our life that have just disappeared. 
who have floated away for whether it's because of a conflict that we've had, whether it's because of something that we've disagreed on, maybe it's something that uh, we just couldn't avoid and all of a sudden they're not our friends anymore. Interestingly enough, friendship is very much about ourselves and not about the other person. Maybe you don't believe me, but Psychology Today did a real big deep dive into friendship and what it means. And they talk about the fact that, that this transition from acquaintanceship to friendship is typically characterized by an increase in both the breadth and depth of self-disclosure. In the early stages of friendship, this tends to be a gradual and reciprocal sort of process. One person takes the risk of disclosing personal information about themselves and then tests to see if the other person will do the same. As that friendship begins to grow a little bit deeper, what holds it together is this. That that person who I've self-disclosed to and they have self-disclosed back to me, that that person actually agrees with how I see myself. They put it this way, that social identity support, the way in which a friend understands and then supports our own sense of self in society or or a group. That we stick with people who support our social identity and we withdraw from those who don't. We may even switch friends when the original ones don't support our current view of ourself. They wrap it up this way and say, most of us would prefer to think that we love our friends because of who they are, not because of the way in which they support who we are. It sounds vaguely narcissistic. And yet the study bears itself out. Sorry, I didn't mean to go from cheesy to downer, but when we think about friends, we elevate it and we put a heightened understanding of what it is. You're my best friend. But when we dig deep into it, we begin to understand that that friend is our friend because they agree with who we think that we are who we've defined ourselves to be. And it seems that they're not willing to push up against us. They're not willing to say you might be different because what tends to happen is that we then say, well, you're not really my friend anymore. There's three things that need to happen in friendship. There needs to first be proximity. That means we have to be close to one another. In that study, they looked at people that lived in an apartment block. And they recognized that those that were on the same floor tended to become friends more than those that lived on different floors because they happened to be bumping into each other more. Think about yourself in friendships that you have formed in your life. When they began, it was because of proximity. Maybe you were in the same primary class together or they happened to live next door or you were stuck as the only two kids in Sunday school as your church was trying to grow. But as that proximity gives way, it becomes affinity. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Friendship is born the moment when one person says to the other, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. 
That there's something that we have an, uh, an affinity for, whether it be a movie or whether it be uh, games that we play or a, a team that we uh, support, that it's like, oh yeah, you're one of them. That's awesome. But as self-disclosure continues to happen, then there becomes commonality. That no, not just we like the same things, but there are things that we are that are alike. So when we see Jesus coming into the world, when we see God who is full of his steadfast love and pursuit for us, and he comes in Christ as Jesus, God in flesh, who do we suppose that he wants to be friends with? Who does it look like he wants to be involved with? What are the people that he wants to build proximity towards? Where there might be a relationship that forms. Well, generally, let me say this. Jesus hung out with everybody. <laughs> he, he was one of those that didn't have a click group that he really got along with best. He, he was somebody that could engage with any and everybody that he came into. But what we recognize is that those who set the boundaries or the rules in Israel, the, those that are the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they saw Jesus in a very particular way and they called it out. That's the reason why Jesus in this passage says this, that you see John the Baptist who doesn't drink and doesn't eat and fast and you call him a demon. But you see the Son of Man, me, and I do drink and I hang out with people. And you say, look, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What they meant as a um, put down, Jesus took it on. Jesus said, no, that is who I am. A friend of sinners and drunkards tax collectors. That's what I belong to. That's who I am. So, so let's go back into that proximity and that affinity and commonality so we can see how Jesus, if he is in fact this friend of sinners, fits into it. The first one that Jesus follows is very clear. He hangs out with people. He wants to be in the places that those people are. He walks along and he calls them out. He, he calls out uh, to, to Matthew as a matter of fact, that's the first time that we kind of get this idea. Uh, if you look back in, in Luke, in Matthew's calling, uh, he's called Levi in the book of, of Luke. Uh, it says this, Jesus says, it says, after he went out, he saw a tax collector named Levi or Matthew sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled to the other disciples saying, what do you, why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Later in the book of Luke, we see them again, throw it out at him. He's the one who eats with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus longed to be with those who needed to be healed. He actually says that to them. They come to him and they say, why are you doing this? Why do you keep doing this? And he says, look, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. The sad thing is the Pharisees probably went like that. Hmm, that's a good answer. I, I like that answer. And walked away thinking, good thing I'm well. 
The problem is the Pharisees don't recognize this, and often we don't either. Jesus went and ate at their houses too. Jesus actually went into their houses and ate with them because they invited them in. And so when they're making this claim that he eats with tax collectors and sinners, they don't recognize that they themselves fit into what that is. Maybe it's good for us to understand how Pharisees defined this idea of sin. See, they were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And sinner for them meant this term, Uh, of a lawbreaker, people they considered social pariahs and so morally filthy that they had to be avoided at all cost. Do you have a hard time loving somebody that you've labeled? Do you have a hard time moving towards somebody that in your mind you've said, well, they're that? You see, the Pharisees labeled these folks tax collectors or drunkards or sinners or prostitutes or whatever it was, probably in order to keep themselves from having to move in the direction of love. They, They actually labeled them those things so that they could justify the fact that they didn't need to love them. Or perhaps, if we want to give them the benefit of the doubt, assuage the guilt that they felt for not loving them. To say, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Like, I can't get myself dirty with them. But that makes me feel guilty because I probably should be loving them. Because they need love. Just like that Jesus guy said. The doctors need the healthy. The doctors, uh, the, the sick need health. Right? And he goes and they say, no, no, but I can't love them. So they're sinners. Jesus hung out with sinners. That's everybody. That's each and every one of us. Romans reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean, the glory of God? Does that mean his right rule? 100% it meets his right rule. But it means much more than that. It means his steadfast love and his pursuit. The identity that his glory is about making all things new, taking what is broken and making it whole again. And so each one of us in our lives, each one of us have places where we've not lived up to the glory of God because we have turned in on ourselves. And we've said, at least in most of the areas of my life, I'm healthy, so I don't need the doctor. But the first thing we know about Jesus is he was in proximity with these folks, so much so that they accused him of being their friend. But here's where it changes. The other thing that we said they needed to have, right, was affinity and commonality. And this is where Jesus becomes more than a friend. Because while Jesus was here experiencing everything that humanity would experience, there was nothing common about him. And his affinity was never turned on his own glory. You see, the reality is the affinity that we build towards one another, that we say, oh, you're just like me, right? You like what I like. And we're lucky when we hit people who like what we like and, they, and we like what they're like because then we can get together. Jesus doesn't like the things we like. He doesn't like that we're turned on ourselves. He doesn't like that we elevate who we are over those around us or God's glory. He doesn't actually fit into that affinity of those folks that he was hanging out with. 
He had nothing in common with them. They were broken and he was whole. They were dirty and he was pure. They held within their bodies death, but he could overcome death. And that's why he's more than a friend. Because he becomes the Savior. He looks at them and says, I don't want to just be your friend. I want to transform you. Dan Ortland has just written a book called Gentle and Lowly, God's Heart for Sinners and Suffering. And in it he says this, the cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering and not away from it. He reminds us that Jesus here is reversing the Jewish system of clean and unclean. The disciples, they go in and Jesus begins to eat and he doesn't wash his hands. And they say, why didn't you wash your hands? You should have washed your hands. And Jesus says, quit looking on the outside and think about the inside. That's a Lee Hinkle paraphrase, by the way. Jesus is reversing that. He is the clean one touching the unclean sinner. And Christ did not become unclean by touching it, just like the Pharisees were afraid of. If I touch that, I become unclean. When the ultimate clean one touches, when the ultimate clean one touches the unclean, the sinner becomes clean. The friend becomes pure. Hebrews reminds us of this. Since that we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to this confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Hebrews 4. 14 through 16. Jesus says, I'm more than a friend because I am the high priest. I'm the one who has taken all the uncleanliness of the world and I have purified it and made it whole. When we come to Christ for mercy and love and help in our anguish and our perplexity and all of our sinfulness, we're not going against Jesus' desires. We're actually stepping in to his deepest wish for us. You see, Jesus wanted to be close to sinners because he wanted to save them. He wanted to know who they were, and he wanted, more importantly, for them to know who they were in him. I was recently watching a show set in a hospital in New York City, and there's a group of doctors and nurses and all. It's, it's a soap opera. It's all drama and a great soundtrack, but it's not Grey's Anatomy. And there's a lady who has a tumor on the back of her uh, skull and in her brain, and it's on an, an ocular nerve, so she can't see. And she wants to get it done, but she also has some other, uh, get it re reversed, but she can't because she is, uh, has a reaction to uh, the anesthesia, 
anesthesia? No. Anesthetic, yes, thank you. And so it, it treats her badly. So they have to figure out a way to do this. And the whole time she has this little girl that she's never seen because this happened while she gave birth to this little girl. And she's about four or five. And she's telling the doctors, why do you want this surgery? Why do you want to do it? And she says, because I want to see my daughter. I, I, I want to see my daughter. I want to see my daughter. And in the end, as she's beginning to go into this surgery with the chance of this taking place, she says this, I realize I don't want to see my daughter. I want my daughter to see me seeing her. The reason why Christ became more than a friend to sinners was not to see us. It was for us to see him seeing us. Discover that he loves us with a steadfast love that will pursue us through time and space in order to make us more than just his friend, but to make us his brothers and sisters, his sons and his daughters. And so... We know this, that today Jesus is closer to us than he was to those sinners that he was friends with. How can I say that? I can say that because Jesus Christ is formed in his gathered body. And we are Christ to each other. We are the friends that go and build proximity and say all these other things that we might have commonality about and affinity towards, they're important, yes, but they're not ultimately the most important. It is who we are in Christ together that make us best friends. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good and all you do is good. We hold on to you because you are more than a friend to us. And we ask that you bring to yourself all glory and that if these words are not yours, your words, that they will pass away. But if they are your words, that they will take root in our heart and bring you glory. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we sing and respond?